This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Coach, we're ready to play. My name's John A. Tate and this is a sporting record. And what a great lineup we have on a Thursday here at 3CR. Phenomenal. Thanks to Dinosaur Prize Surprise, especially for playing Arlo Guthrie motorcycle song. Legend. Before that, Elysium with a reggae uh, episode. Fantastic. And before that, Uncle Toljum telling us about the day <laughs> he and a mate broke out of Tirana. Uh, Children's Detention Centre to go to a Rolling Stones concert. Brilliant. What but a lineup. They line got up. picked up before they got there. Oh, <laughs> disappointing. And now, and now it's time for the sporting record where we talk about sports and stuff, in sports particular the politics of sports and stuff. Radical, radical sports. Before we get started today, the sporting record would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast this program and on which much of our local sport is played. We'd like to pay our respects to Elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. We would also like to celebrate the incredible achievements and contributions by First Nations athletes to this country's sporting life. So we've got a few things to get through today. Second half of the program, we've got an interview. James, what's the story there? Yes, we've got an interview with Pierre, Pierre Comis, the CEO of Special Olympics Australia, ahead of the International Day of Disability coming up on the 3rd of December, which will be fantastic. Wonderful. A few things we want to address in the first half. And I'm going to start, M, by asking you, what the hell is going on in the world of netball? Oh, geez. It's, yeah, I feel like we, we covered a story last year about their sponsorship issues, and now we're back again. There are issues with the um, collective bargaining agreement between the players and Netball Australia, and we're now left in a situation where players have not been paid for nine weeks. Nine weeks. Nine weeks. Are these the elite players? These are the elite players. These are the, the creme de la creme, the top athletes in netball in the country, and they're not being paid. And last Saturday, I believe, they had their awards night, annual awards night, and a lot of players didn't want to attend, kind of out of protest, but also if you're not getting paid, like... Fair enough. Why attend something that, you know, if you... You don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. And that's um, a nice little protest that's not affecting the sport on, yeah. the, on the court. But yeah, it's, it's still making the voice heard. It's, make, it's, it's really trying to say something. But unfortunately, they were threatened with legal action. So they were told they were going to get sued because there were, would have been a breach of their contract, which I find remarkable considering they haven't been paid in Isn't nine weeks. Is not being paid a breach of contract? Well, I would have. that's what I would have thought, you know. But it is quite astounding that, um, yeah, these professional athletes are just being left without pay. Um, I feel as though there's probably could be a little bit more coverage on it, which I think is why, you know, we're talking about it today. It's really important that, you know, everyone 
deserves to get paid. And even in situations where negotiations break down between employers, employees, like they still have, I think they still have responsibility to their employees to make sure they can put food on the table. Um, especially elite athletes who are so reliant on extra supports around, you know, making sure their body is in top shape to perform at a really high level. Yeah, it's quite disappointing, and the effects of this aren't to be understated. Uh, there have been there's been talk that some players have been forced to sleep in their cars mm. because of this pay dispute, and others have had to move back in with family because of it, which is just harrowing to hear that you know because we can't get to a pay agreement, some people are having to suffer and do that. That's mm. really upsetting. It is, um, and former Diamonds captain and netball legend Liz Ellis, who I'm sure many people have heard of, said, my disappointment and embarrassment at not being able to attend turned into anger when I was made aware that current Diamonds players and their advisors were threatened with possible legal action if they did not attend the dinner. As a former Diamonds captain, I cannot believe that the governing body of the sport I love would treat its Diamond athletes. So Diamonds are the Australian netball Mm. team. So these, these are representing the country, the best players in the country. Um, She says, of the sport I love would treat its Diamonds athletes who are brilliant role models and ambassadors for netball with such callous disregard. These women have not been paid in eight weeks who are fighting for fair paying conditions, not only for themselves, but for the players who come after them, who consider themselves as custodians of the game and who I suspect would love nothing more than to attend an event where their world-beating heroics of the past 12 months would, were to be celebrated. So keep in mind, they won the the Netball World Cup. Yeah. Not like in July back mm-hmm. when the Women's Football World Cup was on. So they were off in South Africa and there were huge issues over there with funding and ticket prices and that was a whole issue in itself. Mm. So they've won the, the Netball World Cup and now instead of being able to be celebrated, some people are try, like living out of their cars. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Now think about it. The- Eight weeks, that's two months. So mm-hmm. it's two months, Sam, you wouldn't be able to pay your rent. Mm-hmm. That's why you'd have to, you maybe get kicked out of your, your rental accommodation. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Two like, months, no rent. T- two months of no rent, not being able to pay for food, ex- bills, expenses, like maybe management fees, all that kind of stuff if you're an athlete. Like, it's, yeah, people, yeah, this is why they're living their cars. They're becoming homeless because the support isn't there and that's... It's astounding they're allowing it to happen, really. And the cost of living crisis affects athletes as well. Mm. That's something that we found from an interview we did with Patrick Walker, the CEO of the Australian Sports Foundation not long ago, Mm. that 50% of Australian athletes are living below the poverty line, which is quite concerning. And even if you are above the poverty line, you've got so many expenses that, you know, when pay disputes like this happen, people really suffer. Yeah, and it's not just... If you're above the poverty line, you're fine. That doesn't mean that you're earning buckets of money. That's yeah. just that you're not in poverty, which I think everyone deserves to to not live in poverty. Um, yeah, it's quite remarkable. And these aren't just, you know, local VFL level type netballers. These are people that are representing our country that are going homeless. Yeah, so some other uh, parts of this that we've got is that the players rejected the latest pay offer, which it did include an 11% increase and back pay from October 1, but that would have meant that the revenue share issues that are the sticking point in these negotiations mm. would be tabled for later. They rejected that. They want revenue sharing stuff now. Mm. 
Um, and also on Thursdays, a federal sports minister, Annika Wells, confirmed that the government had revoked $17 million that was set aside for netball because it had failed to convince the government that it would make a good use of the money. Oh, my goodness. So apparently the business case was not satisfactory, and there are some, there's some talk that it was, the, the department had to wait 18 months for the submission from Netball Australia. Oh, what is going on? <laughs> so they need, they, they, who is running this place? The admin is just disastrous. So it's a mess. That's exactly oh, right. These athletes deserve so much better. I hope there can be a better resolution soon, but this is awful. They've been, it's been poor headline after poor headline, and it's been management. It's in sports admin. Nothing to do with athletes. I think netballers, is, like Liz Ellis said, some of the best role models that we have in elite sport, and they're just... Oh, it's astounding. It's a mess. And I guess if you had to point a finger, you'd point a finger at Netball Australia. Something is going wrong there. Mm. Um, Whatever it is, we don't know. But the organization running it seems to be mistreating its players, seems to be bungling a few things. Mm. And so, you know, Netball Australia, get your act together. Come on, please. Please. Some positive, happy news. Yes, let's go to that. Yes, yes, I've been please. watching the uh, Pacific Games on SBS. <clears throat> I came to it a bit late. It's been going for uh, about 10 days now, and there's only a couple of days left. So I should get it in because it's well worth watching. So it's all the Pacific nations from Papua New Guinea right across to Tahiti. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, it's being held in uh, the Solomon Islands. Oh, cool. In Honiara. And... Um, Australia are there and New Zealand are there, although we don't participate in every sport. Mm. And I was wondering why. I went looking far and wide to find out why. And all I can figure out is Australia and New Zealand are associate members of whatever the association is that put on the games. Yes. So they probably say to us, look, don't send any swimmers because it'll ruin the, the, uh, the competitive aspect of it. But you can participate in archery, weightlifting, sailing, judo. We've yep. sent a few athletes, and they're doing well, and it's a great competition. Um, <laughs> they're competing in a beautiful new stadium in Honiara, which was built by a Chinese company wow. who have thrown a lot of money at it, mm. which is nice. Um, but Australia got their nose out of joint because we'd like to have some influence in the Solomon Islands too. So we said, all right, we'll send 100 police to assist with your security. Oh, Because China was going to supply security as well. <laughs> so we got in for that. Um, but, Em, yes. I've had, I've had a, a revelation. Oh, here we a, go. A, an epiphany. Oh. I've, t- I've told you this before. I've tried hard to like rugby league and follow the storm, and I just find it a bit dull. Mm-hmm. That's just me. That's, yeah, that's uh, reasonable. <laughs> I've tried to understand rugby union, and I just can't understand it because the ref blows his whistle and I think what on earth was that little penalty situation all about but I've been watching rugby sevens at the Pacific Games and it's great I've Mm. loved it it's exciting Mm. what is rugby sevens all about um it's I mean it's a great question so rugby sevens is a instead of it's a format I guess a different version of rugby union so 
Because I still run- do that funny boundary throw-in thing where they lift the player yeah, up. Yeah, and they still have um, phases like in rugby union as opposed to rugby league where you have five tackles and then you have to get rid of the ball. Whereas in rugby union, you can have the ball for as long as you can keep. And the ball always seems to be in play. Yeah. That's why it's exciting. Exactly. So it's it's essentially... Like, as the name suggests, it's seven people on the field instead of 15, which is normally in rugby oh, union. really? And it c- means that it's fast moving. The ball is always in play. The players are so fit. And I think, like, just the nature of how much running is involved and <laughs> how much, like, extra ground you have to cover, the games are make up, made up of two seven-minute halves instead of... Um, to 35-minute halves, which is what happens in rugby oh, union. Okay. So it's a very fast-moving game. The ball is always in motion. There's Sometimes it's hard to keep up, especially if they play on with penalties. Like in rugby union, oh, you can yeah. really have a lot of advantage and yeah. like the ref just plays on. So you can have all these like rules, like the ball's going everywhere and the ref's saying play on and all the players like that. It's, it's I think it's a great brand of um, rugby and it's something that like – also, Australia's done really well at the Rugby Sevens in the Olympics as well, mm. which is really cool. And the women won in Rio in 2016, I think. Well, I'd like to recommend it to fellow Victorians who may mm. not have got into rugby before, like mm. me. Yep. This is an exciting version that's well worth watching. Yeah, the athleticism is remarkable. Really good. Another quick positive was uh, on the weekend I watched Minwoo Lee win the Australian PGA Golf mm-hmm. in yeah. uh, Queensland was held. Well done. Uh, he's from Perth. And I just looked into his, his and his sister's background. Their parents, Sunam and Clara Lee, uh, are South Korean, and they emigrated to Australia in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So Minwoo and Minji were both born in Australia, in Perth, and uh, they're both in the top 50 players in the world. Minji, the female one, she uh, she's number five in the world at the moment. Wow. And Min Woo, well, he was 45, but he won this big tournament, so he might be higher than that now. Oh, that's awesome. What a, what a power, power siblings. We and love that. he was fun to watch too. Golf yeah. can be a bit dull too, but this was exciting. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, oh, great. Good to hear it. Now, we'll go to a few announcements now, and on the on the way back, we will hear from Patrick uh, Pierre Commerce, sorry, uh, CEO of Special Olympics Australia. Public transport's great. What's not great is that unless you've got a radio with you, you can't listen to 3CR when you're on it. Until now, the Community Radio Plus app lets you listen to us wherever you are. Get on board and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps. Tune in to Health Sovereignty, 3CR's International Day of People with Disability broadcast on 3rd of December, 7am to 7pm. We're talking about what health, well-being and body sovereignty mean for multiply marginalised disabled people, their kin and communities living on unceded Indigenous lands with programming by disabled broadcasters from the 3CR and broader community. Visit 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2023. Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit wildlife emergency response service dedicated to helping wildlife in need across Victoria. Our volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned wildlife. If you see wildlife that may need our help, on the road, in your backyard or in the bush, please contact us immediately on 84007300. 
That's 84007300. To donate or to become a volunteer, visit wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter. That was Footy by the amazing Spider Bait, one of the great bands coming out of Australia. I love footy. Yep, I love footy. That's right, John. So now um, it's. Sorry, I forgot to turn John's mic on. I was going to say, I love footy and I love Spider Bait. Continue. Yes, so it's coming up to the International Day of Disability on the 3rd of December. So we're going to be talking now to Pierre Comas, the CEO of Special Olympics Australia about all things disability and sport. Pierre, thanks for coming on the show today. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. So just to set the scene, Pierre, what is the Special Olympics? Uh, Look, it's a great first question because we often get confused with the Paralympics. So many of your listeners would have heard of the Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games. The Special Olympics movement is for athletes uh, with intellectual disability, mm. uh, whereas Paralympics is more about sort of physical disabilities, uh, hearing, blind and so forth. Um, and the other advantage, of course, is that we provide weekly opportunities for people with intellectual disability to train, to take part in various sport and physical activity programs, uh, and then for uh, for those that are interested in accessing our competition pathway, uh, we host local state, national and world games competitions as well every four years on a cycle similar to the broader Olympic movement. Fantastic. That sounds like wonderful work. So uh, how has this year been for Special Olympics Australia? Look, it's been a huge year for us um, for a number of reasons. The first one is this year was uh, the fourth year of that cycle that I mentioned. So Mm. we had the World Games in Berlin and they were uh, in June of this year in the European summer. Um, Team Australia went over to Berlin, 64 athletes travelled across to represent the country. Um, We participated in nine of the sports on offer um, and we did amazingly well. We won 63 medals, 15 gold. So a really successful outcome for our athletes this year. Um, But from my perspective, you know, we we have over 3,200 athletes that take part in our programs all around the country. Um, And so Team Australia is only a small percentage of that cohort. Uh, As the CEO, I'm really proud that we've been able to get back to delivering sport after the COVID interruption for a few years. Um, And for our athletes, it's just so important that they connect with one another 
they can get back to doing some training, some exercise, uh, and importantly, they can connect um, through the local clubs to which they belong and really get back to that sense of community, that sense of belonging uh, and feeling empowered and included in everything that they're able to do through our movement. Yeah, that sounds like great work. Um, so it's coming up to the International Day of Disability now on the 3rd of December. Uh, what exactly will Special Olympics Australia be doing to celebrate or to raise awareness? Yeah, look, so on the day itself, we'll have plenty of activations uh, on social media and the website so that people can understand and learn about the opportunity that the day provides in terms of raising awareness and giving us all opportunities to be more inclusive in the programs that we deliver, in the services that we provide. Um, but tomorrow, just to let you know what I'm doing, for example, I'll be down in Melbourne uh, taking part in the Law Enforcement Torch Run. So the Law Enforcement Torch Run are our charity partner. They raise money for our athletes, and raise awareness for our athletes. Mm. Uh, so there'll be a torch run happening in Melbourne from Police HQ down to the promenade there near Crown, the Crown Complex. We'll be lighting the cauldron, uh, very symbolic. It's called the Flame of Hope. Uh, and then there's a check presentation as well. And it's all part of tying into the sport and recreation, uh, the Disability Sport and Recreation Festival that occurs in Melbourne. Um, and similar activations will be happening all around the country. So plenty of opportunities for people to learn more and, and really think about whatever they do in life, how can they be more inclusive of people with disability? Yeah, well, you mentioned inclusivity and accessibility when it comes to spaces and how we can create that. Um, it's probably too short a time to really dig into this, but just off the top of your head, Pierre, what sort of things can we do in sporting environments to help create inclusivity and accessibility? Look, it's a great question, and you're right. There's probably no time to go into the detail. What I will say is, we at Special Olympics actually do some work to help train and develop coaches and other members of the community, volunteers of the sort, uh, who deliver programs and, and work in or operate in mainstream clubs uh, about how they can adapt some very basic things. The way that you communicate, the way that you create a safe and inclusive physical environment, uh, the way that you create a psychologically safe environment and a culture of inclusion um, by not segregating, but actually designing your activities or adapting your activities to be able to be uh, participated in equally by everyone. There's some very simple things that can be done. Um, I'd encourage people to jump on our website and have a look at our online learning platform. We've got mm. heaps of resources that can uh, really help to influence how to deliver more adapted programs and more inclusive environments through sport. And what would and that would be at the website? Is it Special Olympics Australia? specialolympics.com.au there you, so you go can jump on there and navigate through to those resources and of course at this time of year you can also uh consider donating to our cause because we are a charity and we're trying to get back on our feet after covid we've got a christmas campaign running at the moment um trying to raise some funds between now and when santa claus arrives on the 25th then all that money will go directly towards providing programs for our athletes into next year and beyond yeah, great. Just we're running up on time, Pierre. But just uh, extending on that last note, um, how can people support the work that Special Olympics Australia are doing? Look, there's a number of fundraising events and other campaigns and initiatives that we run. Um, that information, as I said, is easily accessible on the website. At the moment, the Christmas campaign allows you to give uh, an amount that you wish to, you know, whatever you choose to give. Uh, we've got a couple of dollar handles there, and that'll tell you what that money will enable. 
Um, for example, $75 will fund an athlete's registration for the year. Um, but in addition to that, there's also opportunities for those of your listeners from different corporate organisations that might want to partner or sponsor with our organisation or to help deliver uh, some of our specific programs as well. So plenty of ways to support. Um, jump on the website, get in touch with us. And if you know anyone with an intellectual disability, please tell them about us because we're definitely looking to help and support them and provide as many opportunities for these potential future athletes to uh, get involved. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on today, Pierre. It's been a pleasure. Wonderful. Thanks for having me along. That was Pierre Comas, the CEO of Special Olympics Australia, and I think I learnt a lot in that segment, don't you think, John? Oh, yeah. And 3CR are very supportive of, uh, of all that and, uh, and the special week coming up. The special international... <laughs> to have disability. That's the one. That's the one. Uh, so just before we end the program, I think the big elephant in the room is it's grand final week. It is it's grand, grand, grand final, final week. week in the AFL women's competition. And so the grand final is locked in between North Melbourne and Brisbane, playing at Icon Park this Sunday at 2.30. The game is now officially sold out. Within hours of Within tickets hours. going. See, once again, we're coming up against this thing of getting... Uh, second or third choice stadiums for such a big match? Well, the problem is they would like to move it, but Marvel is currently covered in dirt. BMX? Why, why is it covered in dirt? For, for some BMXing, is that, is that <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, there was the BMX or the Cyclocross or yeah, something, something, like to do that. With, something to do with bikes and dirt. So, so, so it'd be a bit bumpy to play footy on. Well, it's not the traditional terrain of football. <laughs> um, I think it would be a spectacle seeing yeah. footy played over big lumps of dirt. Yeah. Absolutely. A bit of some obstacles. Some obstacles. <laughs> I heard the idea that someone brought up that footy, footy teams should have different home ground terrains. Oh, um, I so like that. <laughs> Essendon would be an airport hangar. Yep. You know, yeah. uh, Richmond Tigers would be the jungle. Yep. Brisbane Lions would be a savannah. Yeah, I like that. Um, the Swans, a lake somewhere. Yeah, a lake, and um, De- Melbourne Demons would be just be the depths of hell. Oh, great. That's yeah. a preferred ground. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so the footy's on this week, uh, the grand final. Um, this will be North Melbourne's first AFLW grand final in the club's six seasons in the competition, mm-hmm. while Brisbane is contesting its fifth grand final out of six years, which is just an incredible record. And how many of the five have they won? They won one, won they? one. Uh, yes. Not many. <laughs> so, M, who do you think's going to win and why? Um, I'm going to go with my heart on this and say North because... North. North, North, because Gardner and Riddell are just elite and unstoppable. And you've got Emma Carney bringing up the rear, who is a six-time All-Australian, the only current... Only AFLW player to feature in every All Australian team um, in every year of the AFLW, which is just absurd. It is, yeah. And Garner was putting up absurd, like video game numbers. She averaged thirty disposals in the home and away season. Yeah, that is just uh, absurd. Yeah. What about you, Jimmy? Uh, I like to. I like the idea of North winning. I'll be going mm. for North. North has had a pretty tough run in the football world, mm. men's and women's competition. The women's have been good, but just never good enough. Yes. Until this year. And I just like the idea of Jazzy Gardner just coming out and racking up disposals and causing havoc. Mm. So I'll be going with North. How about you, John? Well, I'm going the other way. 
Oh, especially seeing it. Spice it it looks like the big full forward, Dakota. Oh uh, yeah, what's his surname? Dakota Davidson. Davidson. Dakota Davidson might be available. We thought the the knee injury was going to be severe, but maybe it's not as bad as originally thought. And uh, she is great fun to watch well, and a really good full forward. I must say, I. It is awesome when you get to see two great teams at their full strength having it out. Um, so it would be good to see her play just to see how North go up against it, but I still want to back North in. <laughs> yes, so and like you touched on, Em, the AFLW Awards Night was on the other day. It and was. The, the big prize was taken out by Mon Conti, Monique Conti from the Richmond Football Club who won the AFLW Best and Fairest with 23 votes out of a possible 30 across 10 games, it's, which is pretty convincing. It's very convincing, although interesting. My take is that I, maybe I'm just a Jazz Ghana fan, but um, didn't poll particularly well. And I, I, she was the unanimous like AFLW Players MVP. Yeah, but Monconti was second in that. Yes, but I just like I think like Ghana was quite low considering that she took that award out. Yes, Um, I think Monconti deserved it and is an incredible player to watch. I love watching. But um, yeah, just interesting, interesting. Always (laughs) like a. Always an interesting time seeing those awards. Maybe she's a bit cheeky way. to the umpires. Perhaps she gives a bit of back chat. Maybe. Maybe she's not a favourite there. Who knows? Yeah, you've got to be an umpire's pet to get some votes. Mm. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so we're coming up on time here on the Sporting Record. If you'd like to reach out to us and give us feedback, we do have a Gmail account now. We do. Which is the.sporting.record at gmail.com. Is that right, Em? That's 100% correct. Other news... Uh, summer is coming up at 3CR, and we've been given a uh, an hour slot. So uh, stay tuned. So for nor- that. in two weeks' time, we'll start at 3:30 and go for an hour. That's right. So you've been listening to the Sporting Record. Have a good week, and as always, stay sporty. <laughs>